Hello and welcome to the Buying and Selling Businesses Show. My name is Phil Jepson. I'm a serial entrepreneur and I'm the founder of UK Business Capital Partners. We buy, partner with and invest in businesses to help them achieve their potential. Today, I'm going to be talking to Janet Mewey. Janet is an economist and works with Bruin Dolphin, which is one of the UK's largest wealth managers. Janet is the public face of Bruin Dolphin in relation to economics and markets and the interrelation between the two. Janet and I are gonna focus our conversation around a number of really interesting and topical areas. We're gonna talk about the economic impact of COVID and the pandemic and the government's response to that or the government's responses to that. We're gonna talk about the prospects for 2021. We're gonna have a look at the potential impacts of the changes on taxation that are likely to occur as we come out the other side and governments recognise that they need to raise more money. We're going to talk about Brexit and the likely impacts of Brexit on the British and European economies. And then finally, rounding all that up, we're going to look, on what, look at what all that means for businesses and particularly for manufacturing and engineering businesses and the opportunities that that might create. Obviously, you've got a, uh, an expertise in economics. Yes, um, I do. And um, recently joining Bruin Dolphin, and I gather that you've made quite an impression since, since you've been there and you've got quite a high profile. You've been appearing on all kinds of things. So tell, tell me... Just tell me a bit about your story and how you come, how you come to be where you are, and also what your role is at Bruin Dolphin. Yes, so I have a background in economics. Uh, I've been an economist for nearly ten years at Casanova Capital, so also a wealth manager. So I've yes. been looking at a global economy for a long time, really, and uh, my focus is really connecting economics and markets. So it's all about investment strategy. Yeah. And in my role, I'm primarily responsible for communicating our views to our clients and the media. So you mentioned right. the high profile yes. stuff is all the media stuff like I go on the BBC, CNBC, Bloomberg, etc. cetera, uh, to communicate our house view. And of course, I do lots of client uh, seminars, webinars yes. to update our clients. And why I got to where I am, well, I, I think it's my experience in economics and also, I got lots of opportunity in my previous companies. So uh, we are part of Schroders, which, as you know, is one of the biggest yep. uh, asset managers in Europe. So we have lots of uh, opportunities externally as well. So that's how yes. I gradually build up my profile. Yes. Okay. Fantastic. That's fantastic. And obviously, at the moment, we're in a very, we as in the world, <laughs> are in a yeah. very interesting situation because it's really on the, the kind of things that are going on right now are new i mean the world has had recessions before we've had depressions we've had mm. bubbles 
of various sorts, property bubbles, tech bubbles, mm. but this is this is something different, and it's yeah. had a very different kind of impact on the on the global economy. So, yeah, just I mean, from your point of view as a as an economist, and obviously as you said, linking economy to markets, what are the the, the headline impacts of the the virus that that you've seen really what are the headlines in terms of its impact on the, the global economy yeah i think this is really unprecedented because i think this recession is brought about by the lockdown measures and it yes. is a very global in nature which unlike in previous recession uh, there was uh, some sort of uh, for example a debt crisis originated from uh, certain countries. Um, yeah. So this is really driven by the government's policy, right? Because they choose to lock down the economy. Uh, of course, the the result is that on the headline level, we see a global recession. So I think the only major economies to avoid a recession this year is China. They, they will manage to grow by 2% this year, whereas yeah. every other economy is going to suffer. Uh, of course, the clear impact is on the services sector. Because, well, with the social distancing, it is just impossible for, say, the hospitality and the leisure industry to, mm. like, have the activity normally. And again, that is being brought a point by government policy. They, they have no control over it. So it's really a very special kind of situation. So I yes. think the ultimate recovery will really, again, depend on government policy, how they reopen the economy and how how quickly we can get back to the normal capacity in the services industry. Yes. Yes, because the experience so far seems to be mm. that when they lift the restrictions, when the government mm. lifts the restrictions, activity rebounds quite strongly because of the reasons you said, the recession is caused by the lockdown, not yeah. by other external factors. But, yeah. then, but then the virus breaks out again. Yeah. So you get this kind of strong bounce back, but then the disease bounces back as well. So then the governments have got to take more measures. So presumably, the, well, I mean, obviously there's the vaccine come along, but the way out of this is some kind of steady relaxation of restrictions, I guess. I've got to say, well, you're absolutely right. We've seen quite a bumpy recovery this year so far. So as you mentioned, basically we had an unprecedented fall in GDP in the second quarter in pretty much most mm. of the countries and then followed yep. by a very sharp rebound in the third quarter as relaxation happened. But again, in the fourth quarter, we are likely to see negative GDP growth again in the UK, Europe, and maybe the US. Uh, so you're absolutely right. It really depends on how economies are being mm. reopened. But again, it is a very tricky yes. exercise at the moment. So our expectation is that basically it will be difficult until uh, until maybe after the first quarter of next year. So at yes. least we have already started the vaccine distribution in the UK. So we are the first country to do so. So that's great yes. news. But we figured it would probably take, you know, at least middle of next year for it to mm. start to get some impact. Yes. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. And just just moving on to talk about the UK a bit, because mm. uh, obviously that's the, uh, that's the bit that's closest <laughs> to home. Um, I've seen yeah. some stuff suggesting that the UK economy has been hit worse 
worse than mm. some of the other, well, probably all of the other big European economies. Yes. Why do you think that is? Yeah, that's primarily because, first of all, we had uh, later than uh, other people's lockdown. It was longer as well at the beginning. And I think the most crucial factor is that we're just so exposed to services. Right. Right. Yeah. We, we as a country, uh, we have uh, over 80 percent in services sector and we have like a huge tourism sector. Uh, and so we just lost all that <laughs> in the space of, mm. you know, uh, yeah. a few months uh, compared to, say, economies like Germany or China. They, they have a bigger share of manufacturing as a percentage of GDP. OK, so. Yeah. As a result, we just suffer more than other people. And of course, we still have, up until this moment, the idiosyncratic risk of Brexit. So this is kind of in the background. Yes. So we, we have the double hit from Brexit and COVID. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. The difference being that with COVID, we have some idea of what's going to happen. Yes. <laughs> Whereas with Brexit, we have no idea what's going to happen. Um, Okay, and but given what you've said about the services industry in the UK and the size and scale of it and our reliance on it, mm. is, is services capable of bouncing back quicker than the manufacturing type industries, the, the asset heavy industries, simply because it's more ethereal? I certainly think so. I think it is because uh, when you think about bounce back, you, you have such a low base already. So percentage-wise, you see better data definitely from next year. And another yeah. reason is that because we look at a lot of data, for example, from the Bank of England, it shows that there has been a substantial surge in deposit and household yeah. savings. Yes, it is unprecedented. In the second quarter, uh, the UK savings ratio has surged from an average of 6.5% to nearly 20, uh, 30%. So wow. households, yes, so households actually have a lot of room and ability to spend if they want to. Yeah. I think this is kind of personal experience, right? From, uh, from people whom I know or heard of. Of course, there are people who suffer from it, but I think there's still, you know, a substantial a percentage of population who managed to save quite a lot without having to travel, right? And you just don't get the chance to travel mm. up abroad and those are big yep. big purchases you know yes so, yeah so that yeah. suggests that, that people may well spend at least some of that once yes. they can so yes yeah, presumably that has to be good news yes it, it would be good news but i think ultimately it needs that confidence to be back because yeah. even when the economy reopens and if they're not confident enough they'll still save as precautionary savings so we need that confidence but yes. i think with the vaccine and people really genuinely do want to get back to normal. I think yeah. that will happen in, an, in yeah. the next year. Okay. And have you been able to measure the impact of, of uh, the lockdowns and COVID on mm. manufacturing and engineering as opposed to services? Has, has that survived better? Yeah, so far the data suggests that uh, manufacturing sector is doing much better than services. Of course, uh, all the sectors initially saw a huge slump like unprecedented mm. slump. It happened all together, all the sectors, construction, manufacturing services. But as we move on, uh, because uh, manufacturing is able to actually still continue their activity, 
despite with some sort of social distancing indoors. But what we saw from the key data, for example, the purchasing manager indices and the official uh, Office of National Statistics, they are they're more resilient uh, than services sector from the second quarter onwards. And basically now at this moment, the services sector in the UK is in contraction again, but manufacturing sector is still in expansion. So yes, they're, they're definitely more resilient at the moment. Okay. So what, what I'd like to do actually is talk a bit more about engineering and manufacturing, because obviously for various reasons, that's, that's an area that, that I'm particularly interested in. And obviously yeah. through Made in the Midlands um, is also particularly interested in. Um, over recent years, obviously UK manufacturing and engineering was not as strong as it had been historically. And there had been a drain, particularly out to the Far East, where there were lower cost competitors, mm-hmm. um, particularly for the, the more volume, less value added type, less bespoke type services. Um, and a lot of people sourcing stuff from China in particular. Um, but the, the UK still has quite a strong, I mean, we're still something like, is it number seven in the world, number eight in the world in manufacturing? Yeah, it was number nine. Number nine, yeah, mm. okay. So we're still in the top 10, which is good. Yes. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, we talked about two, two things which are impacting life at the moment which is one is covid and the other is brexit Um, and both of those are going to have impacts on well must already be having impacts on the supply chains Mm. that extend across the world Um, and i'm hearing people talking about something which is being called reshoring yeah um and it made it certainly makes sense to me, and it's one of the reasons why I went ahead and bought an engineering business in May mm. because I believed that combination of COVID and Brexit was going to make people look at sourcing engineered goods closer to home. Um, is it a real thing? Is it something that you can see happening? And if so, what what does it look like, and what's the opportunity from reshoring? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think COVID and Brexit are definitely changing things. I think before these, I, th- I think uh, not many businesses are looking to reshore back to UK, but uh, we are starting to hear more and more. This is definitely a hot topic because I think a lot of industry bodies in the UK have done some sort of survey uh, on mm. you know whether uh, businesses would like to reshore back to the UK. And the result is actually pretty encouraging. Uh, I think the latest survey that I can find is Mm. the Made in UK, uh, collaborated with uh, EY, which is an accountancy firm. So they find that actually a third of their manufacturers say that they intend to actually moderately increase their UK-based suppliers in the next two years. And a 12%, a further 12% actually say they want a significant increase. that is compared to the previous years when the survey result basically they, they didn't show much interest, okay. right? Yeah. So this is 
Obviously, this is just a survey. We have yet to see if they will actually happen. But I think this mm. pandemic really, really showed business how essential it is to have some sort of domestic base. And basically, uh, actually, UK manufacturing has been very helpful during the pandemic in, for example, producing a very vital uh, PPE supply to the NHS, for example. And yeah. actually, uh, just looking aside from the survey, there are uh, real life uh, examples that companies are actually trying to source from the UK. But I think, you know, these are so far is kind of less complex production. For example, uh, like the clothing, like ASOS, uh, started right. to make more of a clothing in the factories in Leicester and um, Ted Baker also announced a made in Britain range. Um, so we have yet to hear from the more complicated manufacturing processes like auto. So mm because the supply chain is so complex, right? Yeah. But there are definitely signs that, that is, there is more interest from businesses to reshore. Yeah. Is it just, uh, I mean, if, if I'm a UK business, which I am, <laughs> as it happens, um, that's mm. looking to, to win a share of this mm. reshoring opportunity, is it, is it just about price or are there other, have I got any advantages in competing? Yes, I think obviously price is very important. But after all, I think what we have seen from the recent decade is that while we know that China is very cheap or Asia is cheap in general, but even then their wages have been rising. China's wages in manufacturing has been rising by double digit over the past decade or so. So it has become increasingly less attractive. And of course, we know that that trend will continue as China becomes increasingly rich as a country. Yeah. So uh, I think, you know, cost advantage is gradually fading in China. And I think there are more and more uh, patriotic feeling in that, you know, buying British. Right. I think there's yeah. a trend whenever we talk to our clients or uh, like customers. And we there is a belief that the UK made products have higher quality or control process. So people do have more confidence in, in that. Yeah. Uh, of course, actually, UK is very strong in its engineering, really top-notch uh, research mm. and people talents. So uh, I think there's definitely an opportunity there uh, if we can uh, take advantage of that growing patriotic spirit, in particular uh, post-Brexit. Yeah. And I have yeah. heard this about engineering, actually, and quality, that, that we are right at the top and that, you know, the USA can't match us, Asia can't match us for quality. Obviously, in the past, there have been times where quality is less important or, you know, you, you only need a certain degree of quality. So you're not willing to pay premium yeah, prices think- for it, but- Exactly. I think now, I think consumers is just more demanding. Of course, they want cheaper things. But what we see from the trends, from consumer and from an investor point of view, is that we are looking for more sustainable, ethical and impactful investment or products. So it is harder to get it in, say, China. It's not like they don't have, but I think Mm. investors are probably likely to scrutinize, you know, are they using child labor uh, do they have the right health and safety codes? Yep. But here we know that the process is very strict, stringent. So there is more confidence in actually having that production mm. here because yep. investors and customers just care more and more about this kind of you know background mm. 
uh, information of the supply chain and manufacturing process. Yeah. yeah. There are two other things that occur to me as potential advantages for mm. a UK engineering business or manufacturing business as against sourcing from China. And mm. one is speed, speed of delivery. Yeah. Because, well, unless you've got something small enough to put on a plane, it takes a while to get a shipload of goods from China. Yeah, Whereas absolutely. We could turn something around and have it delivered within a week. Absolutely. I think that has been showcased during the pandemic, especially in medical equipment. And I think a lot of yeah. businesses in the UK is actually very innovative and resilient. They're able to turn their normal factory into suddenly adapting to produce something that is suited for the pandemic, which is yes. pretty encouraging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And, and certainly before all of this in manufacturing, the trend was very much for it's the kind of Japanese uh, the Kanban type approach. So things are, if we're going to use it tomorrow, then you might as well deliver it today. We don't want six months stock sitting in the stock mm -hmm. room. Let's, let's have it ready for when we actually want to use it. So if you want that flexibility of supply, then buying it closer to home must make sense, you would think. Um, the other area, though, that occurred to me is potential advantage is is if something does go wrong, you know, if there is a quality issue or some kind of need to change or adapt or amend the product sort of part way through the process, it's pretty impossible to do that if you're sourcing it in a ship from China. Whereas if you're buying it in the UK, you can, you can get it changed immediately. And if necessary, you can drive there <laughs> and and you know physically sort it out face to face with the with the supplier and i think that you think that must count for something as well that sort yeah. of sense, a greater sense of control if you like yeah absolutely uh i think well i think now people start to appreciate more and more you know getting domestic I think it's not just the manufacturing, but I think consumers in UK in general, I think the pandemic really does change habits. I think people like general as a consumer, we want to like buy locally as well, isn't it? I think it's mm. the culture mm. and the spirit. It, it really has yeah. seen quite some fundamental change. Of course, it's the convenience, but I think it's also the spirit, you know, yes. to support local. Yeah. 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 And well, that's, that's a really interesting point, actually, yeah. because I know throughout this and it's a silly little example but when we've been buying food we've gone to the local shops yes yes because and it, it's some of it may be the convenience thing but some of it is also wanting to make sure they survive it's wanted to keep yes. them there yeah. um, is, and that is something you're actually seeing on a bigger scale is it that is a it is a real thing yeah i think so i think there are a few reasons why so first of all the COVID situation um, again it really highlights how important it is to actually have some domestic source maybe maybe I think some businesses they won't reassure the whole of the operation right it's, mm. it is kind of impossible yeah. but mm. they want to at least diversify so diversifying yeah. means actually having a proportion of their manufacturing in the UK so that should be helpful if 
you know, yes. thousands of businesses do that, that would be a great opportunity for the UK, right? And I think it's really just kind of a cultural thing, spirit thing. I think businesses just try not to rely on China a lot. Uh, I think there is this concern about the geopolitical tension. Uh, you know, we, we know that yeah. uh, the UK government is not going to use Huawei for the 5G infrastructure mm. as well. I think there's just a general sense that, you know, in particular in the electronic products, uh, more, you know, the higher premium tech product, maybe they have this thought that, you know, they don't know if they, if they use Chinese technology or the electronics, would it be subject to some scrutiny some point in the future, yeah. potentially? Yeah. So, I mean, it is hard to avoid using Chinese goods, of course, but I think companies are starting to think more and more what's yeah. the implication of yeah. using Chinese stuff. Yeah, okay. And, I mean, just before we leave COVID, because um, I want to come on and talk about Brexit, mm. but before we leave COVID, I mean, I know you, you did a presentation the other day that, that I was listening to and I was asking the question about normal and what, because you were using yeah. the term normal and the new normal and mm -hmm. we, I was asking about that. So there, clearly there will be some areas of our lives that once we don't have to worry about the virus so much mm -hmm. will return. But a lot of the social interaction stuff yeah. is something that, you know, it's a basic human need to interact with other humans so that you know we will go to concerts we will go to football matches mm -hmm. and all that so some elements of life will return to how it was before but some areas of life won't some some things are changed forever mm. um so do, what do you think are the key things that are not going to go back to how they were before this pandemic happened yeah, I think some trends will stick. I think e-commerce will stick. You can see it from the data. Actually, there has been a surge in e-commerce in the percentage of online sales uh, compared to the overall sales. We, what we see is a structural shift uh, that is going to last. Because I think people just get used to that idea. Once they sign up to that delivery, they already, they already experience it. They, they probably like it as well. It's so convenient, right? Yeah. And we think another trend is the work from home. I don't think people will keep working from home five days a week, but I think from most of the uh, saying from the big bosses in the big banks, for example, or the businesses or the surveys, it shows that it will be a hybrid model yes. of working yeah. from home and the office. Yes. So there will be implication right. on many things like commercial real estate, Prime, oh, commercial, property, yeah. etc. cetera. So yeah. this, this will have lasting impact. And we, I think long-term investors or businesses have to have a good thing about these. Yes. Mm. Yes. So you think those are the key, those are the key things. It's the, the, the way in which people work. That's probably the biggest. Yeah. Plus, as you say, the way in which people buy stuff, the fact that people, yes. more people have bought more stuff online. Yes. What, what do you, th I'm just thinking about travel. I mean, mm. there were certainly suggestions earlier in the pandemic that business travel, for example, would not go back to how it was before because people get more used to things like this, mm -hmm. where, yeah. where we find we can communicate perfectly happily via a video screen. All right, it's not, the, it's not quite the same as being in the same room, yeah. but 
for business discussion, it, it's pretty good actually, as long as you've got a decent internet connection. So is, is that gonna just rebound or, or are people gonna spend more time business-wise on Zoom calls and Microsoft Teams? I think definitely. I think it's not just uh, the pandemic. I think actually a lot of corporates, I'm talking about really big corporates, uh, they are really aware of their carbon emission. Okay. Yeah. What we have heard and seen is that companies are actively trying to reduce their carbon footprint. A lot have net zero carbon emission goal. So to do that, they have to reduce their travel anyway. It, it has have started to happen before COVID-19. I think pandemic just allows companies to know actually we can do all these meetings without yeah. traveling. So yes. I think some fundamental change will happen, which means, of course, if there is really, really essential, like you have to meet that client in order to win that business, of course, but a lot of, well, unnecessary travel would, would not happen anymore. I think that's the yeah. trend. It's primarily because we are moving to a greener economy. Yes, More cautious on the carbon emission. Yeah, okay, no, that is interesting. Mm. Okay, fine, thank you. So let's talk about Brexit. Mm. Now we've talked about the easy stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, when, when this first, I mean, this, this dates back to 2016 or even just before mm. when the debate was going on about Brexit. And at that, at that time, I was running a, a recruitment business. We, we used to run an annual conference and I thought it'd be quite good to get a speaker to come along and talk to the mm -hmm. audience about Brexit. Mm -hmm. So we got a professor of European law from Manchester University to come and talk to us about Brexit. And I went and had a coffee with him first as you do just to meet meet the speaker and all that and I was asking him questions about Brexit and I came away from that conversation thinking oh crikey if if Brexit happens there is no way on earth that they'll ever be able to agree a deal mm -hmm. because there are too it's too complicated there are too mm -hmm. many moving parts and you're never going to be able to get anything everything that you need to line up mm -hmm. to actually line up in order to get a deal it's just I, I just thought this is never oh, ever yeah. gonna, going to happen mm -hmm. now we're now at a, in a situation where we are you know, 15 16 days away from from yeah. that moment in time where there either will or won't <laughs> be a deal so what I mean it, a week ago it was all off it was no deal get ready yeah. Um, now it seems to be, well, there might be something. Uh, I mean, what, what do you think is the most likely outcome just from how you see it at the moment? And if there is some kind of deal or arrangement, what's, what's it most likely to look mm. like? Yeah, so, well, we still hope that there will be a deal. We think, actually, we think there should be one. But of course, it's, it's going to be a deal that covers the minimal aspects. I think it's just making sure that we don't fall into the WTO terms. I think right. as simple as that, really. Because uh, what, what I can say is from a financial market perspective, 
if you look at a range of indicators, the technical indicators, sterling, the market sentiment, etc., it tells you that market is not expecting a no deal at all. Right. They are they collectively the market participant expects that we'll have some good outcome. We're definitely the financial market is not prepared for a no deal Brexit. That's what I can tell you about. Oh, that. is that right? Okay. Yes. Yes. If you look at the what how sterling has been behaving, it is definitely not pricing in uh, no deal. Uh, so we we have sterling have much more to fall in the case of a hard Brexit than if we have a deal. Sterling would rise only moderately, in our opinion. Yeah. Um, okay. And. I mean, I'm not saying that the financial market is right. Obviously, they got it wrong last time as well uh, in the referendum, right? They were too confident as well. So I'm not saying that it is right. But I think markets are looking from an economic perspective. We are at a very weak stage of the uh, economic activity. We are still facing tough COVID condition. I think the UK just cannot afford a no-deal Brexit. It is just too disastrous. Uh, so, well, from an economic perspective, which is from a sensible, rational perspective, but of course, we all, how we know is that politics is uh, maybe it's a very different story. And that's why we still have a few key sticking points. So what we think is that any sort of a deal is really bare minimal. But we already know that because so many issues remain to be discussed outside of this deal, right? Financial services is completely another issue to discuss. And what about the different sectors, right? Different sectors also need to be discussed, right? It is extremely important because for example, the auto industry, you can't have the same kind of standard or say the rule of origin with the auto industry compared to the other industry because the supply chain is much, much more complex, right? Mm. Yes. And uh, there are other areas as well. So it's just really the bare minimum that avoid us going into the WTO rule that you suddenly overnight you see a huge jump in tariff on every single thing. Right. Mm. And I mean, Boris Johnson was talking about an Australian style Mm. arrangement. Is that different to WTO or is that just WTO by another name? Um, I think it it would be different. I I think the tariff rates won't be as high. And um, I, I just think there would, be less red tape compared to if there's no deal. Mm. Yeah. So if it was WTO, why does that mean there will be high tariffs? What what generates that? Because surely if if the EU doesn't slap big tariffs on our goods, we're not going to slap big tariffs on their goods. No, but it is by default, right? So it is just the standard WTO tariff, which which is just standard. Okay. Yeah. Is, is it is the bigger problem the tariffs or is it the friction, the existence of the friction at the borders? Yeah, of course that that is very important as well. I think friction is super important uh, because it means that you have to fill in more forms. Probably, I mean, to be yeah. honest, even if you have the deal, you probably have to fill in more forms compared to zero friction yeah. at the moment, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 So I think. Yeah, I think the friction and the tariff, well, they're, they're, they're equally bad, of course. And I think it's mm. just really the, the fact that manufacturers or exporters have never experienced 
that with the EU, which is our biggest mm. trading partner, right? Oh, like over 50% of our exports go to EU, which has never been subject to this kind of uh, red tapes and tariffs. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I think it would be just the inconvenience, which deter yeah. business from trading, I guess. Mm. Okay. So the whole thing about Brexit, the whole, the thing that people voted for when they voted to leave the EU was we want our country back, essentially. Now, we want control over our own affairs. That was the whole central plank of the Leave campaign. They didn't give any detail on anything other than we want our country back. And given that mm-hmm. that must mean, that has to mean that we control our waters, our territorial waters. Mm-hmm. Hence the problem with fishing, although it's yeah. a tiny industry. Yeah, yeah. And it, 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 it must also mean that we can decide what we do in terms of supporting our own businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, how, in, in those circumstances, how, how can there be a deal? How, because the Europeans are saying, you can't make your own rules about business support because you've got to align your rules with our rules. And by the way, we've got loads of French fishing boats that want to pop into your waters and haul out your fish. So um, I don't, I, I struggle to see where the space is there to actually reach a compromise. To be honest, I think it's so difficult. It's fundamentally ob- just contrasting objective, as you mentioned. But I, I think the UK may have to make some concession, unfortunately. Mm. It, that's why it is so difficult for the prime minister to do that because ultimately this is what well the electorate wants right but so far from from the development so far i think the uk is making more concession like it is it is not going ahead with the internal market bill yes right yes, so it is some yeah. sort of concession and ultimately the eu is just much bigger as an economic zone than the uk mm. so if it, if the U- UK really wants to make any trade deal ex-UK going forward, the EU will always be at the front of the queue, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah. It, the economic impact of Brexit is just going to be hitting the UK much harder. So from that perspective, I think the UK, unfortunately, will have to make some concession. But of course, the political genius will hopefully have a deal which make it look like it is not a big concession. Maybe it's just a small one. But obviously, it is so hard. I don't know. I, ha- I don't have the answer <laughs> to yeah. how they can do it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, if you did, you'd be... Exactly right. ...working yeah. somewhere else, probably. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and probably doubling or trebling your salary, um, yeah. if not more, 10x. Yeah. Um, and it would, be, it would be well worth it as well. Yeah. So um, from what you've said, the markets believe there will be a deal. Mm-hmm. Is that what you think? Well, we, to be honest, it, it is really 50-50. It is hard to say, but it's just that from an economic perspective, we think, and I mean, they, they're still talking. They have set numerous, numerous deadline already, which every single time they have extended it. And mm. I think there's still a will to talk. If they totally don't want, they they wouldn't have extended and yeah. extended. Yeah. So yeah. it's gonna drag until the last minute. Okay. And yeah. so we, we still 
believe that there would be some sort of a deal, minimum okay. deal, which avoid yeah. us from going to WTO yeah. terms. Okay, so um, let's assume that that comes to pass, mm -hmm. that there is some kind of an agreement. Mm -hmm. um, what what's the opportunity for the UK? Because I mean, we've mm -hmm. we've talked about lots of negative stuff, mm -hmm. and you know we're 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 leaving a club where we were a reasonably influential member and a club which had quite a lot of trading power. Um, mm -hmm. So it's very easy to see the negatives and the downside in mm -hmm. in all of this. But um, amidst all of that, there will be opportunities. There will be positives. There will be opportunities. So. <laughs> absolutely absolutely of course answers yes. on a postcard so what what do you think what do you think they look like what are the opportunities for Britain the British British industry whether it's services whether it's manufacturing engineering what can we do and what can we be yeah I think um the first opportunity is definitely the one we have been already talking about it is actually increasing that uh, manufacturing base in the UK. I think there is really hope for that, especially after COVID, because we are seeing that from the surveys. Uh, it just makes yeah. more sense because if, I mean, before the frictionless trade, uh, it may make sense to say import some materials from the EU or whatever, but now it may actually make more economic and administrative sense to actually have it manufacturing in the UK and consumed in the UK. So there's yeah. definitely um, opportunity for that. And another one is, you know, depending on the level playing field, how they actually have the final deal, I think the UK uh, can hopefully position itself as an attractive place for investment. It, it already is, mm. of course. Yeah. Hopefully the deal would allow us to even uh, expand that more internationally. And I think there's still a lot of leeway to strike individual trade deals with other countries. So we have already started oh. trading with Japan and recently Singapore. Yeah. Notice that most of that are Asian countries. It's just because there's just so much growth in Asia. Yeah. Uh, actually, in this year, UK managed to grow its export to China this year by 10%. Yeah. Whereas actually our export to other economies like the EU and US has fallen. So there is just... I think there is still a lot of opportunity to strike trade deals with the rest of the world. And hopefully we can also have uh, more opportunity to uh, reinvent ourselves as an innovative and competitive place for businesses to invest yeah. here. Yeah, and if you think that our, our setup, the, the setup in the UK is more flexible and more entrepreneurial mm -hmm. than in mainland Europe, you know, our, our labor laws, even whilst we've been within the EU, are more flexible and more conducive to business than they are pretty much anywhere else in Europe, actually. We can produce the quality that Europe can produce. Um, so you would think that leaving tariffs aside, we should be able to outcompete the Germans, yeah. the Scandinavians. In, in certainly in manufacturing and engineering and and I mean in services we've already got a very strong base so I think speaking of labor there's actually a lot of opportunity because I think one important concern for business is that once we have brexit deal or no deal there's just going to be less freedom of movement for 
EU yeah. uh, workers, right? Because even if you yeah. have a deal, they need a visa to work here, right? So uh, that is a critical point for UK businesses because they will be forced to invest more in automation technology mm. because your input is either labor or your machinery. Yeah. But years and years we have been flooded with cheap labor or supply of labor from EU. But well, that's going to change. And now you have the opportunity to actually reinvent yourself as a business to actually mm. improve your productivity by investing in tech to replace your labor supply. So I think that's yeah. you know a pressure point. Yeah. No, I agree. And it's something I'm already thinking about in my business is <laughs> it's it's how you make more with less. It's it's yeah. using less human yes. input and, and better and more modern machines and technology. Yes. To produce more. So that certainly I, I, I can see that as a, mm. as a very good way forward. OK, fine. OK, brilliant. So just one final area before I, I let you go and then. Mm -hmm. um, Look after your cats, which um... oh. <laughs> they're sleeping. <laughs> Are they? So very peaceful. Right. Yeah, it's a very impressive structure that I can see in the background. <laughs> yeah, there it's a cat the... tree. Yeah, lots of people <laughs> ask about that. Yeah, it's beautiful. I'm a yeah. cat person, so I understand all this. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I just want to finish talking about capital taxes, mm -hmm. um, which is something very dear to my heart because I'm, I'm engaged in this process of looking mm. to buy businesses, which means I'm looking for people who are willing to sell their businesses. Um, and obviously, capital taxes have been talked about a lot as a likely area that the government's going to land on to raise some revenue. Mm. So what, what do you think is the most likely outcome in that space? What do you think is going to happen with capital taxes as, as we come out the other side of of COVID and, and also what do you think the timing of that might be? Yeah, I think it is quite likely to see a, a increase in the capital gains tax. Um, it is because, well, if you take what the chancellor said at face value, he already has repeatedly warned that taxes have to rise. Mm. So something has to give, right? And um, and he, he refused to deny it's going to happen. And we yeah. all know how bad the uh, that situation is in the UK. So I suspect, you know, once we get past that tough period, uh, he should be making more noises on the capital gains tax. So the timeline, it should probably be 2022. I suspect okay. what he's doing now is literally just telling you in advance that it may happen, probably happen. So please make some preparation. Yes. At least there is not going to happen overnight. So if if you do have your concerns, you can take steps to minimize the impact. Yeah. Uh, what we see from the government, I think throughout the pandemic, is that they try to leak information. They try to set some expectation ahead yeah. of actually happening. So that's kind of like a trend now. So I don't think these things happen. There, there has to be a reason for people speculating that and he, he actually didn't deny any of that yeah. and of course maybe it's not just the capital gains tax but other areas of taxation well it's going to have to be because capital yeah. gains tax itself can't raise anywhere near i mean it's yeah. a, a drop in the ocean of what they need so exactly it's going to be stuff, a comprehensive but... uh, review of the whole tax base right yeah. so i i can't tell exactly you know how 
is it going to be at the income tax rate or whatever? But I, a whole lot of things will be looked at. Pension contribution, yeah. potentially wealth tax, mm. you know, lots of areas. So I think I what we think is that maybe not going to happen in 2021 because we are still in a recovery phase and it is very, very difficult for mm. businesses or yeah. people to stumble. So it yeah. will be a year of, for you to set up the expectation and preparation. Yeah. Okay, yeah. no, I get that. Because they've already said the furlough schemes extended till the end of March. So yes. they're not going to suddenly, they shouldn't no. be dropping this on people right at the yes. beginning of April. That would be too quick. You would Yes, think. exactly, so, exactly. But okay. we suspect it will happen at some point, unfortunately. Yeah, it, it sounds like it's inevitable. Yeah, it's exactly. It sounds like it is inevitable, indeed. Okay, fantastic. Well, I'm not sure whether that's a high note to end on, but at least hopefully we've got a bit of time before capital taxes do get hit. Yeah. Um, I mean, we can never, we, we never know. We can only analyze what is likely to happen yeah. based on the current situation. Yes. Uh, so from the best of my knowledge, and it, it, it is likely to happen. So it's about how you prepare for that eventual outcome. Of course, it would be great if it doesn't happen, but if we're in such a, big hole in public finances mm. it will take a miracle yeah. for for it to get fixed so yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah i don't think yeah. anyone expects that i think everyone knows we're all going to pay more tax yes exactly <laughs> it's, it's already ex- well flagged yeah. every time rishi yeah. sunak well, speaks yeah well it's uh, i mean there's no other way around it i mean yeah. they can only borrow so much for so long before mm. they've got to start paying it back and I mean, obviously, economic recovery is a big thing. If we've got mm. that, then that all helps yes. and that can reduce of course. the impact. So in a way, in the short term, they'd be better not doing anything that's likely mm. to impede the economic recovery. Exactly. So I think 2021 it will be a year of observation to see how mm. it goes. Mm. Yeah. OK, fantastic. Well, Janet, that's been absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much, um, Philip. No, thank you. Thank you for your time. Um, it's been uh, it's been really illuminating, and I'm oh, sure that so everyone kind of... everyone watching and <laughs> listening to this is going to find it absolutely fascinating. So, thank you so yeah, much. So thanks. Thank thanks you for your bit. questions and invitation. <laughs> You're a great host. Thank you. <laughs>